Hey everybody, welcome to Come Follow Me Daily Dose, and I'm Lindsay Hansen. Today is March 15th, and it's the first day in this week's Come Follow Me scripture block, which is going to be Jacob 5 through 7. Now we're going to start out in Jacob 5, and we'll probably be here for a couple days, because Jacob 5 contains the allegory of the olive tree, and it's intense, and there's a lot to learn in there, and so we're going to be here for a couple days. But to start out, I want to start with a quote by Joseph Fielding Smith about Jacob 5. And in this quote, he's expressing his belief that you could take Jacob 5 alone and have that be proof enough of the Book of Mormon and its divinity. And so this is what he says about that. But we have something in the Book of Mormon that, if we did not have other truth expressed in it, would be sufficient evidence of the divinity of this book. I have reference to the fifth chapter of Jacob. I think that as many as 99 out of 100 who read the Book of Mormon read this parable through without grasping the fullness and meaning of it. And I think this is one of the greatest passages in the Book of Mormon. No matter how many times you've read the Book of Mormon, Take a few minutes at some convenient time and sit down and just read carefully every word in the fifth chapter of the book of Jacob. No greater parable was ever recorded. I tell you, my brothers and sisters, Joseph Smith did not write it. That was written by the inspiration of the Almighty. When you read that chapter through, if you cannot say in your soul, this is absolutely a revelation from God, then there is something wrong with you. Now, <laughs> that's really strong wording. But Joseph Fielding Smith here, obviously, he understood this parable better than I do. Now, I read it, and I feel the truth of it, and I feel the divinity of it. But clearly, Joseph Fielding Smith understood this far better than I do, to use such strong words to describe this allegory. And I'd like to get there. And so let's take a look at it. Let's study it together and see if we can get there, that we can see such strong evidence of divinity in this allegory. So Joseph Smith once taught that if you wanted to gain a greater understanding of the Savior's parables, then you had to look for the question that the Savior was trying to answer with the parable. I think the same can be said for the allegory of the olive tree found in Jacob 5. So let's take a look really quick before we jump into Jacob 5 at Jacob 4 verses 17 and 18 and figure out what is the question that is trying to be answered here. Verses 17 and 18 say, And now, my beloved brethren, how is it possible that these, speaking of the house of Israel, after having rejected the sure foundation, can ever build upon it, that it may become the head of their corner? Behold, my beloved brethren, I will unfold this mystery unto you. If I do not by any means get shaken from my firmness in the spirit and stumble because of my anxiety over you. So Jacob here, he's saying, how can fallen Israel, after having rejected Christ, how can they ever return to him? That's the question he's trying to answer. And to answer that question, he is going to quote an allegory by an Old Testament period prophet named Zenos. And that is the allegory found in Jacob chapter 5. And that is a question that we can answer for ourselves and our loved ones here in this allegory as well. How can those who have turned away from Christ, those who have rejected him and walked away, how can they come back and return again to the fold of Christ? So as you're reading Jacob 5, as we study it, keep in mind that's the question that we're trying to answer. So in this chapter, Jacob is quoting the prophet Zenos, and Zenos was an Old Testament era prophet 
that we assume was recorded in the brass plates because we don't have any record of him in the actual Old Testament. But in Nephi chapter 13, Nephi explains that the brass plates are more comprehensive than the record of the Jews that we would have in the latter days, meaning the Bible. So we know that there was more in the brass plates than we currently have in the Bible. There are prophets that are spoken of there, there are stories, there are histories that they had in the brass plates that we don't have. We now have this allegory of Zenus because Jacob quoted it, because he taught his people from it. So I'm super grateful that he took that time to teach this allegory. Otherwise, we would never know it existed. Now, this allegory is huge. It's comprehensive. This chapter is giant. And there's no way that we can possibly get through the whole thing. So what I want to do is I want to give you some basic symbols that Zenus uses to help us understand so that as you're reading, you can gain a greater understanding because you'll understand the symbols. You might want to write them down or you might want to put them in your scriptures so that when you're reading, you can remember. Because if you're anything like me, you'll hear it and you'll forget it two minutes later. So this list is kind of long and I apologize, but I really think it will help as we study these next couple days. So first of all, um, Zenus is going to talk about a vineyard quite often. And that vineyard is a symbol for the world that we live in. And then he's going to talk about the master of the vineyard, who is Christ. And then he'll also talk about servants in the vineyard, and those are prophets. He'll also make reference to a tame olive tree, and the tame olive tree are the covenant people of the Lord. And then he'll talk about a wild olive tree, which are the Gentiles, the people who haven't made covenants, who are non-believers. He'll also make reference to the roots of the tame tree. Those roots are the covenants and promises of our Father in heaven that bless us and sustain us and give us life. He'll talk about branches, which are different groups of people. He'll talk about fruit, which is our lives and our actions and the things that we're doing. He'll talk about different work that he does on the tree, like digging and pruning and fertilizing. And those things symbolize the ways that the Lord reaches out to us to save us and to persuade us to follow him. He'll talk about transplanting branches, which is a scattering. He'll talk about grafting, which is restoring people to the covenant. And he'll talk about decaying branches, which is a symbol of wickedness and apostasy. So something that's really important to understand, if we're going to understand this allegory correctly, is that Zenus is going to talk about three different time periods inside this allegory. Now, verses 4 through 14, Zenus is going to address this very first time period, which is the beginning of the Israelite prophets um, all the way up until just after 600 BC. So keep that in mind. These first verses are talking about the Old Testament time period all the way up until about the time when uh, Lehi and his family leave Jerusalem and come to the Americas. Now, that being said, let's take a look at some of these verses. So um, verses 8 and then 13 through 14 say this, And behold, saith the Lord of the vineyard, I take away many of these young, tender branches, so these righteous people, and I will graft them whithersoever I will, so I'll place them somewhere else. And it mattereth not that if it so be that the root of this tree will perish, I may preserve the fruit thereof unto myself. Therefore, I will take these young tender branches and I will graft them whithersoever I will. And these will I place in the nethermost part of my vineyard, whithersoever I will. It mattereth not unto thee, 
and I do it that I may preserve unto myself the natural branches of the tree, and also that I may lay up the fruit thereof against the season unto myself, for it grieveth me that I should lose the tree and the fruit thereof. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard went his way and hid the natural branches of the tame olive tree in the nethermost parts of the vineyard, some in one and some in another, according to his will and pleasure." So here in these verses, he's talking about how he wants to take a portion of his tame tree, so righteous, good people, and he wants to take them and place them someplace else so that he can preserve people who are true believers. And it says that he'll take them and he'll put them in these different spots so that he can preserve those people. Now, if you think about this time period, Once we understand that these verses are referring to the Old Testament all the way up until uh, the time that Lehi and Nephi leave Jerusalem, it becomes very obvious that these tender branches that he's talking about here are Nephi and Lehi and how he's going to take them from Jerusalem and he's going to place them in the Americas so that they could continue to thrive and to believe and to worship him. Now, one of my favorite parts of that verse is that it says, and this is something that he's going to say multiple times in this chapter. It says that he does all this because it grieveth me that I should lose this tree and the fruit thereof. It makes him so sad that he should lose these righteous followers. And he knew that if he didn't take Nephi and Lehi and their family, that he would lose them. Not necessarily them, but their posterity, especially in the the destruction of Jerusalem that would happen after they left. So I love that insight that we see into the Lord here, that everything that he's doing, all his work, as it says in Moses 139, all his work and his glory is to save us so that he doesn't lose the righteous followers. And he does that. He works for our righteousness and he works for our salvation no matter where we are. Whether we're close to him or far away from him, he still cares. And he is still reaching out, trying to save us. I feel like so often we feel like we need to change and repent and be perfect before we can be worthy of God's love or worthy of his tender mercies. But this is the way Elder Uchtdorf said it. He said, God loves you this very day and always. He is not waiting to love you until you have overcome your weaknesses and bad habits. He loves you today with a full understanding of your struggles. He knows of your suffering. He knows of your remorse for the times when you have fallen short and failed. And he still loves you. I think that that's the most beautiful thing that we can learn in this allegory. And so as you study it, look for those times when the Lord is showing his love for his children. He loves you no matter what, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done. And he's asking for us to come unto him so that he can place all his trust in us and exalt us and help us become more like him. That is the great message of this chapter, that God will never stop working for the salvation and exaltation of his kids. And I am excited to continue to explore that theme in the next couple days as we study this allegory. Thank you so much for listening today, you guys. This has been Come Follow Me, Daily Dose, and I'm Lindsay Hansen. 